Hey guys, this is Jenny Allen, and you are listening to the Made for This podcast. So I am excited for you to meet one of my great friends. Zach and I met Jeff early in the um, work that we're doing in ministry and really just became great friends right away the first time we met. So Jefferson Bethke, if you don't know him, you need to know him. He is a unique guy. And I say that in the best way because I'm especially drawn to interesting people. I want to be around people that make me better and that make me curious. And Jefferson, you have done that since the time, the first time we met, I don't know if you remember with Curtis. Um, and, and it just was an inspiring conversation that day. And every time since, whenever we talk, I'm inspired. So I'm so excited to have you as one of our first guests on the podcast and for everyone to get to hear from you. So welcome. Hey, thanks for having me on. It's a blast and it's an honor. And yeah, I was thinking while you were talking, I think I was I think I was 22 when I when me and Alyssa, no, Alyssa wasn't even with me. I think it was just me when I met you with Curtis. Uh, yeah, that would have been what, Catalyst West maybe, I think. It's wild. Um, yeah, yeah, I was fresh out of college. Things were crazy. And I just remember you and Zach both spoke life into me, encouragement to me. And I just remember that that meant the world. So thanks so much. Well, you were 22 and I was mid-30s, but we were both falling into the whole deep end of ministry at the same time. And it's just mm-hmm. been good to always count you a little brother and watch God bless the work that you're doing and Alyssa and we just love oh, you guys. So yeah, let's talk about this stuff because what we're talking about this season on the podcast is relationships. And of course, you have a lot of those in your life. And what I want to focus on today is the way that you have swam upstream in the relationships in your family. This is a passion for you. In fact, you just wrote a book about it. It is something you are bleeding and living really beautifully. So let's talk about your conviction in general to raise your family differently and to pursue a different type of relationship in your family? Oh yeah, that's such a good question. I, let's see where to start. Yeah, because the way we, because we, we do try to lean in and I like how you said it, uh, swim upstream the way we do family, but that bleeds out into what I've noticed is what we see theologically with how we kind of want to orchestrate the family, then actually bleeds out to everything from friendships to uh, workplace environment and, and all these different things. And one thing, what it is, it was really a mentor about five, six years ago, who had spent some serious time in Israel, done some work over there, was around a lot of Jewish families and essentially had an epiphany. He kind of noticed these Jewish families were operating different than a lot of the evangelical families he grew up around. The fathers seemed to be more present. They seemed to have bigger families. Not that that's more holy or anything of that regard, but there was just children all over. The, the, these fathers tend to have a vision. They seem to be casting and taking intentionality for the story that God wanted to tell through their family. And so the more he would kind of poke and prod on a lot of them and have conversations over the years when he lived over there, they all came back to Abraham and they all came back to Genesis. And so he then was always just struck with, well, that's interesting because we have those same parts of the scripture in our Bible too, right? And the more, again, he would poke and prod, he would say, and and I've talked to you about this, you've heard this, that yeah, it's kind of hidden in plain sight, right? That there's, that in the West, the water we're swimming in, that thing we need to go upstream against is individuality, right? Like that is actually, we have set up a world that the goal has been individualism, meaning like the individual is the highest ideal, their freedom, their rights, their satisfaction, their desires, the fulfillment of everything the individual wants. That is how we set up our society to work the last two or 300 years post-enlightenment, post-industrial revolution, and some other really huge cultural shifts. Now, that had some amazing benefits, right? You get some of the democratic levels of politics that we have that are amazing. You get some of the individual rights that have beaten anyone else in human history. So the, the blessing of it is absolutely insane and incredible. Yet, 
what started to happen is I feel like we're starting to live through that erosion now where what happens is, you know, if the individual is the ultimate thing, then the thing that can really hurt the individual is any type of limits, right? Limits of work. So, you know, limits of religion, limits of community, limits of where you live, which by the way, that sounds kind of like the millennial problem, right? I don't want to work the same place more than five minutes. I don't want to live the same place more than five minutes. And like I said, we're, we're living the logical conclusion of how we've actually set up our ideals to work. The, the thing I like to kind of encourage my peers with is, do you realize that that kind of game ends with you dying alone? Like you can, you can actually have everything you want. You can live an individualistic dream, but then it turns quickly into a nightmare and you die alone because that's where it leads, right? You will have no more limits, but you will have also no one around you. You will have no relationships because limits are actually, in my opinion, one of the avenues to true freedom and to true blessing and to true goodness. So then we're in this individualistic mindset. That's just, that's just the water we're swimming in. We don't even realize it, but you go to Genesis. And again, it's funny, right? We do this to our theology. We always talk about how the image of God is us individually and personally, and that's the blessing and all that stuff, because we've kind of Westernized the text. But when you really look in Genesis, what God's trying to do is God creates these image bearers. So plural, right? Not just this individual. And these image bearers are meant to bring his goodness and his beauty and his blessing into the world, kind of kind of continue this God project that he spun into existence, but purposely didn't need our help, but purposely left it undone so that we could kind of co-labor with him. And when you bring these image bearers into the picture, he says, okay, this is actually a very, 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 very big project. You're going to need a lot of help. So he first makes them man and woman. Then he says, you're gonna need a lot of help. Now you so have a lot of babies. And then he actually gives them a mission, go create some do bring order out of chaos. And so what we see, I think, from the very first page of scripture is God's intent, God's plan A for bringing blessing into the world was actually a multi-generational family team on mission. Now, it's not the only plan. Mm. There's a bunch of other plans, but that is mm. that. It's so good. And you're right. It goes exactly against the American way and everything we're trained to think about. And so you have these convictions and it really is. I love that it's rooted in theology and an understanding of God and who he made us to be. But I want to first, before we go any further, I want you to address people that are listening that aren't married, that are thinking right now, they're they're scared because they're thinking, you're telling me to obey yeah. God, I need a family. Like that's that was his way. So, so speak quickly to them. Yeah, a couple of things. Well, first, what I would say is I think we've also misinterpreted what it means. Like, so when, when, I, when I say that, we immediately think like the nuclear family, right? When I read the text again, I think like whether you're single or married, you're a part of a family last time I checked. But I think that's the reason we're actually even kind of getting scared sometimes by hearing that is because we're so individualistic again. And what I mean by that is no matter what walk of life you're in, no matter what season you're in, whether you're a kid, whether you're an adult, whether you're single, whether, whether you're married, you're a part of a story and you're a part of a legacy and you're a part of a last name that goes back hundreds and hundreds of years, right? And notice how God always wanted to speak in that kind of family. Like Israel is one corporate family. My favorite thing is to always, you know, like how does God identify himself? Like let's listen closely to how God himself talks about himself. And he's constantly telling the patriarchs or telling Israel, I'm what? I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, if we tried to say who God was in 21st century West, we would say, I'm the God of, he's the God of, I don't know, you know, I don't know, and I don't care. Like, you know, like we don't, we can't even go back three generations. We, we literally can't, like most of us can't even name like three or four generations of our family that's died. But yet God seems to identify, like that's his name. Like he actually says, this is how I want to be known. So there's a lot more there. But one thing I would say, and one more I would add on to that is I think, I think what we see in the New Testament, and I think we've lost this, is one of the primary ways for the gospel to spread 
is for people to stay in their lane well. And what I see in the New Testament is I see two very even, equal kind of ministry paths. And that is the one of singleness and that one is the one of marriage. Another way to think about it is almost like, and they work off of each other, almost like this double helix DNA that kind of spin together towards God's kingdom where you see the single disciples, right? Getting pushed out and God says, go to the ends of the earth, right? And then what is it? Luke six or Luke seven, they show up uh, and Jesus says, go to these neighborhoods, go to these places and find what? The home of peace, the family of peace, the person of peace. So it seems to me like some are sent out and scattered, some are anchored. And to me, that's almost like an army, right? You have the outpost and then you have the actual army. The outpost is the place you go for refreshment, for hospitality, for renewal, for resources, right? For stability. And then the army is also the people that then get pushed out and also go fight and do the battle of the kingdom. Now, of course, families are part of the army army as well. So that, that analogy breaks down. But I would just say, yeah, I think that's another hidden in plain sight thing is that the scripture clearly seems to kind of have a couple different lanes, especially in the New Testament. And I just think whatever season we're in currently, put yourself in that lane and run well. And that's where we, I think we find God's blessing. So Jeff, you know, we were just in Rwanda we took Cooper back and it was what you're saying was lived out there current day, modern day, living in village, mm. everyone being known. We couldn't go places with our Rwandan friends that they didn't know somebody. And there was something about, they understood this. In fact, Cooper was in a village meeting some kids and we were at, we were saying, ask them some questions, get to know them. And he joked, he was like, mom, yeah. that would be like stalking someone. <laughs> and, and this pastor, Pastor Fred who's Rwandan, got on his level and he said, Cooper, we don't live that way. We live invading each other's mm. lives. We live asking each other deep questions and and knowing each other. We live as if we live in a village and we care about each other. And I just, I thought, oh my gosh, like even today, like this isn't something from generations ago. This is something that I think in many cultures today, they live this so much better that they aren't individuals, that they are a community. And I think we're aching for this. Yeah. Well, and I talk about that in my, my next book that comes out this October where, it, you know, like we've actually, like I said, this is the logical conclusion of what we've been building towards, even to the point of like our home infrastructure, right? Like it's not a coincidence that you can go back to the turn of the you know 20th century and all of a sudden, you know, front porches stopped showing up in, you know, home, home architecture. What starts showing up more? Home backyards. What starts showing up? More square footage inside the home. And it's interesting that we don't actually believe that that stuff actually affects us. Or by the way, you can go back to the Sears catalog. Do you know the actual, like we were a multi-generational family living country, meaning like, you know, grandparents, parents, and kids all lived in one home, single, married, etc. all lived in one home until about the turn of the 20th century. And do you know what changed that? Not particular needs, not for some really good moral reason or not for because, you know, someone was introverted and wanted to create another home next door. It was actually can be traced back to the Sears catalog. So again, capitalism drove this one where there was now like you needed more customers, right? Like we want to we want to do these kind of mail by order homes and we want to sell all these homes, but we have no customers. Oh, I have an idea. Let's actually do some marketing to actually convince those people that just got married. They actually need to move out of that multi-generational house and they need a new house. And if we do that, we can make a lot more money. Boom, all of a sudden, 100 years later, and we're basically all sitting in thousands of square feet for three of us by ourselves. We don't know our neighbors. We don't know our street. We don't know our church. Oh man, sorry. I can keep going on and on. But anyways, uh, but it's true, right? Like, like this stuff matters. Here's what I'm trying to say. Space matters. Our neighborhood matters. Yeah. How we actually orchestrate a home or how we orchestrate our dorm room or how we orchestrate anything matters because it actually facilitates or hurts relationship. And I think if we think through that in a really beautiful way, God would do something really cool with it. 
Okay, so let's talk really practically. What does it look like? Let's, what does it look like for you? What does it look like for people listening? How do they make better choices to facilitate community in their lives? Oh man, there's so many different ways. Uh, uh, off the tail end of what I just said, on the really practical side of just like your dorm room or your home, just like get out of it, like leave it, right? And I mean, not, not, not go somewhere, but just like go out in the front yard, go out in the street. So one thing that we do that's very particular but intentional is like we barely play in our backyard. We almost always only play in the front street in our front yard. And we've gotten toys for the kids, whether that's scooters and whether that's a basketball hoop, just to put us in the front yard more. Why? Because there's so many natural kind of random passerby connections that have happened over the last two years that I can immediately trace of stronger relationships that have been what? Can be traced all the way back to us just hanging out in the front yard first. Now that's a really easy practical example. Dorm room, same thing. Just go into shared space. That's basically what it is. Mm. Go into shared space go into shared communal places, or if you have a private place like your dorm room, like your apartment downtown, like a home, invite people into it, right? I think I sometimes struggle in Christian community where we always want to go disciple people at Starbucks for an hour when it's like, no, no, invite them to your dinner table. Now, 99% of us don't want to do that because we want to actually be cleaner and look more moral, which we do at Starbucks, right? We don't look awesome when we're getting really frustrated with our wife at the dinner table and we're not really disciple. We don't think we're discipling that well when we're, you know, snapping at our kids, but that's real life. That's act, like, you got it. Like, are we, do we believe we're actually free in Christ? Do we actually believe we're free in Jesus and that everything is covered and that he's growing us day by day? day in his likeness, in his image. And if that's true, then you can invite people into that orbit, right? Uh, of you, of you doing that journey. Well, and it was interesting because we were just in the orbit that you're describing in Rwanda. Yeah. And it changes and you. had about 10 aunties around and he, they yes. were all parenting him. <laughs> and I'm like, that's what we were meant to do. Yes. And he listened and he grew and he fell in love with these women. And I'm like, this is, this is how it's meant to be. We're supposed to be helping each other. So when we hide everything that's messy and everything that's broken, nobody yeah. feels needed. Nobody feels like they have a place in our lives. Yeah. And I'll, I'll add one more thing too, uh, especially to people like my age. So I'm, I'm, well, I was about to say I'm 29. I just turned 30 a couple of days ago. So I'm 30 now, super old. I know. But um, <laughs> so millennials, right? So I think that's 35 and under right now. So I would say people, my generation, one thing you need to do, it's really been really helpful to us and transformative is stop hanging out with only people that are you, right? Stop hanging out with people that are your age, that like the same thing, that do the same things. And basically what I mean by that in short is go pursue older, godlier people. Like to me, I just think it's hilarious that we all want to just like reinvent the wheel or all want to just like go step on landmines and blow our lives up when you can easily just go talk to someone who's 50 and say, where are the landmines? How about you help me not step on them? Uh, that seems to just, that seems like that's going to save or shave 30 bad years off my life, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, and Jeff... We, you even did that with us. Like Zach and I, we go to dinner in Austin when you're in town one time. And I'm just thinking, oh, great. We'll see our good friends and eat Mexican food. And you sit down and you're like, we have questions. <laughs> and like you pulled them out as if we were being recorded. It was awesome. I was like, oh, my gosh. Like they really want to oh, grow yeah. and learn from us. And it made us feel so valued. And it really brought about such a life-giving conversation. Like we walked away and we just – we were so inspired from the whole conversation because you took it deeper and you were intentional. And I think that, you know, let's not take for granted that that those questions perhaps come easy for you, but they don't for everybody mm. else. So maybe talk for just a minute about those, you know, yes, put yourself in a space, but then I know this is awkward. You got to talk to somebody. You got to actually initiate yeah. <laughs> a great conversation. That's a good point. Yeah, I would say there's a couple of things here. Well, one I would say too is we have to also push back against the lie of like, 
that the, so like this is kind of a mentor mentee relationship or like older godlier wisdom and discipleship. There's this lie, I think, or this, this, we think the way it's supposed to work is that the older person is supposed to invite us in. I personally, I've just never seen that go that well or happen that many times. And what I mean by this is I think the best game to play is where the younger person in the relationship pursues the older that just, and invites them in and gives them a seat at the table of honor. Because I think that's what scripture says, right? That, that older, wiser people are people to be honored, right? I think again, in the West, we have this idea of like, you know, the peak human is a 24 year old, strong buff, you know, entrepreneur who's maybe a millionaire by age, you know, 25 or whatever. Like you, we have, we have like a youth lust in our culture, but scripture seems to put the old person, right? The 70 year old, the 90 year old, the 80 year old who's walked with Jesus for 50 years as the, the peak ideal of a human of wisdom of gray hair is actually the, what it means in an image of that. And so I would say, first of all, pursue that. I think it's the young person's job to pursue that. And just some practical advice, by the way, when trying to get into a space of kind of get some wisdom and extract help and mentorship, don't like try to make their life tougher, try to make their life easier. Meaning don't like intimidate them by saying, will you be my mentor? I think that's literally one of the worst questions ever. That's almost like the Christian Amen. college version of like you, you go to Starbucks, you know, on the first date and you say, will you marry me? Right. right. It's like, no, no, those don't go well. <laughs> so right. True. Like just literally don't ever say that word, right? What I would say is like, can I can I buy you something? Can I, can I buy you some lunch? Or can I file some papers for you at work? Or can I give you any type of value? And while we're doing that, can I ask you some questions? Boom, you do that. Nine out of 10 times, it usually goes really, really well. Hey, so kind of offer them yeah. value and then ask them and then say, can I ask you questions? And that seems to get the job done, right? Yes. Um, okay, so then practically, once you get in front of those people, I think just like get to know them as a person. I think you're not trying to extract data. You're trying to learn and you're trying to, you know, grow in Jesus. So I think that's what I always ask because I always just point it and focus it there. Like, hey, tell what's, you know, whatever season I'm in, I'm guessing they were in at some level from a work standpoint, a marriage standpoint, if they're married and I'm, I'm married, you know, whatever it is. And so just, I just usually ask them questions. What was it like when you were 30? You know, when you first got your first job, what, what was the one of the most difficult things you had done? When you hit a bump in the road, what do you do? I think those type of questions, I don't know, they just seem to kind of lead to really good places, you know? Yeah, well, and it's one of the things I love about you, Jeff, is you are curious and, and it is inspiring. And I think that it makes the people that you're around more curious too. And I think that really does lead to deeper friendship and to more relationships because you actually care and you want to know. So anyway, it's a great quality. And I do believe that anybody can approach a relationship this way. Jeff, you have a really outgoing personality. I have a really outgoing personality. I don't want to leave out the people that are kind of introverted and like intimidated by this stuff because I have seen this change people's lives, whatever their personality, when they are intentional and they're not afraid to ask a first awkward question, which, I mean, it's still awkward for me. I'm outgoing, but I still, when I'm starting a conversation and really trying to go deeper, it always comes off just a little bit awkward. And I think that it's not something we talk about, but it's something we've got to overcome. Yeah. And that's, and this is, this is going to be a little side, this is going to be a little tangent or a little sidetrack, but no, I, well, what's funny is, so I would consider myself really outgoing, but I also would consider myself highly, highly introverted. Me and Alyssa just had a talk about this the other day. I just realized yesterday that I hadn't left the house in like nine days. Now I work from home, so it's even worse. Like, I, no, I'm not even joking. Like, but, and I don't even realize it. Like, that's the worst part. As Alyssa was like, have you left? Like, have you, when's the last time you left? And I was like, oh, I think like last Tuesday or something. Like, I literally... I want to just be alone and read a book. That's pretty much. Are you an introvert? I am. Like yeah. high. Are you? I really? am high introvert. But oh. but that that then when I get in. But I think here's I think here's why. Right. I would say ninety percent of my time I want to be alone and I want to read and I want to think and I want to just brood and I want to be all that. Then when I get in front of people, I'm just ready to like burst. 
right? Because I've been like thinking and reading and all this stuff. But I think they say, I think the true definition is they say an extrovert is someone who gets filled up by being around people. Introvert is someone who's get filled up being kind of alone. And then you can kind of, you know, go to the other side to, you know. And so I would say, yeah, I definitely probably am an introvert. But one thing I'll say that I think we, this is a total sidetrack, but just a thought that's been on my head. I think we have to be really careful with uh, some of these, like, like, you know, you, you, I think we've even talked about it. I love the Enneagram. There's some other tools out there that are really helpful and really beneficial. I think one thing we need to be really careful with, especially in relationships, which is what we were talking about is to not let what you think your personality is block you from where the spirit wants to grow you. Yes. Does that make sense? And I think so like the yes. introverted extrovert one is a really good example. That's a really um, good example where I know like, you know, for like super easy example would be like, you know, you're at a party or something and you know, uh, with your friends or a small group or whatever it is, it's someone's home and there's maybe someone that the Lord kind of prompts you like, oh, they look kind of lonely. No one's talking to them or they're over in the corner. You could be like, oh, well, I'm introverted. I don't do that. I don't go, I don't go up to people. I don't go actually talk to people when it's like, well, no, but like you're a Christian, aren't you? <laughs> like, do you love the Lord? Um, maybe you should actually go talk to them, right? Now that's an easy example, but I'm just saying, I think a lot of us cut off the spirit's creativity and the spirit's prompting sometimes based on what we think uh, we are wired to be. And so we let, we let that kind of put us in a, in a box more than like where the spirit wants to put us. And I think that sometimes that's a real sidetrack conversation, but I think that's really important that we have to make sure we're fully well rounding ourselves, even if we have particular proclivities or kind of personality traits. That's good. Okay, Jefferson, this was amazing. Thank you. You, I mean, like in 20 minutes, you gave us a theological explanation of community practical steps to create it and address even just like the different ways we prohibit ourselves from doing it ourselves. So front porch, here you go. We believe in it too. We, Zach and I love this. So thanks so much. We love how you and Alyssa live and how you're raising your family. It's really fun to watch. Hey, thanks so much for having me. It was a blast. Note to self, having a podcast within 30 minutes of me having a huge cup of coffee is always a really good idea. So I will remember that for the future or maybe whoever's listening might (laughs) say that's a bad idea, but we'll see. So (laughs) you killed it. Hey everyone, this is Chloe. Real quick before you go, our culture makes constant demands of us. Do more, accomplish more, buy more, post more, tweet more. And in following all those demands, we have indeed become more, more anxious, more tired, more hurt, more depressed, more frantic. If you enjoyed today's episode, Jeff has this new book coming out called To Hell With The Hustle that will remind you of the fundamentals that make us human, the things that anchor our lives, providing us with roots and meaning. You can pre-order it now on Amazon, and we'll make sure to include all the links in the show notes. Thanks for listening today, guys. See you on the next episode.